Well, good morning. It's great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you, Leon, for um, inviting me to come along and spend the day with you guys. These two services and then uh, over in Hagley later on this afternoon. I just need to say, um, I do travel around a number of churches most weeks. You've got a fantastic worship team. Yeah, make sure you thank them. These guys are working hard, kind of, in numerous services. Probably arriving here before us and leaving after us and, and, and practicing throughout the week and using their gifts and skills as many others are in the life of the church. And we need to make sure that we can honor and encourage and cheer people on in uh, wherever God has called us to serve. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 3 this morning. Um, if you can open your Bibles, whether it's a physical Bible or you're pulling it up on a phone or a tablet, that's all fine. But uh, let's look at Colossians 3, and we're going to focus on a few verses from verse 12 through to verse 17. But before we read these verses, and as you're finding it in your Bible, I'd like to give us a little bit of story, a little bit of background. Who's writing it? What is going on in this particular passage? So the Apostle Paul is writing to people who are already believers. He's writing a letter to encourage them how to live out their faith. You need to realize that Paul is writing this letter and he's in prison. He's been in prison because of his faith. And he's trying to explain to these, um, the, 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 the listeners or the readers of this letter to keep going, encourage them in what they've been called to do. But, but he starts with kind of giving us a picture a little bit like that of a jumble sale or a car boot sale. Yeah, you know, your spring cleaning. When you walk into your garage and you think, there's no space in here any longer. I need to get some stuff out before I put some new stuff in. I need to get rid of some stuff before there's space for the new stuff to start influencing my life. So, so Paul, in the first few verses, you'll see words like this, put off, get rid. In fact, he gets really serious at one point and he says, put to death. In other words, there are some things that used to be part of our lives before we followed Jesus, yeah, like anger and bitterness, and jealousy, and envy, and unforgiveness. Those things used to fill up the garage of our lives. Get rid of them. Yeah, Paul is saying to the church, they should not feature in the life of Life Central Church any longer. Yeah, that Those things used to be part of the way we live, but now you need to put those to death. Put them, don't even take them to the car boot sale. Burn them, get rid of that way of living. Because there are now some new things that we get to wear as we represent Jesus in this world, yeah? We're going to keep referring to that metaphor of old clothes and new clothes as we explore this passage together. But this is what Paul says, verse 12 onwards. Since God has chosen you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anybody who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you've been called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other 
with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I am... I'm going to attempt to give you a slightly extended play version in a little less time. I'm not going to take up any more time, but I just want to give you a bit more kind of context to to this story. Because I think Paul here is trying to encourage the believers to live a godly life in, in a situation that is anything but godly. Yeah? And he gives the believers four quick motivations. And I'm going to race through them, 13, 15, 16, and 17. Maybe you want to scribble them or underline them or make notes of them. Because I think this is what he says. Firstly, verse 13, we get to forgive people in the world because Christ forgave us. That's motivation number one. Yeah, We get to be forgiving people because we have been forgiven. goes on in, in verse 15, the peace of Christ rules in our hearts. I don't know about you this morning, but you may be facing turmoil. You may be facing challenge or difficulty. Your life might feel anything but peace, but actually we get to live for Jesus because his peace rules in us. Verse 16 says, the word dwells in us. Yeah, The word that spoke the world into being is actually alive and dwelling in you. The power of God himself is in us. And then verse 17, we get to sign up as Christians. We can use his name. We are little Christs in the world. We get to represent Jesus every single day. Then we get to this verse, verse 17, and that's going to be our focus for this morning. Hopefully you'll be able to stay with me. I'm going to try and keep it as light as possible, but explaining what this passage is getting at. Because Paul says, whatever you do or say, Think about some things this week that you've done or said, okay? Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Now, if you're anything like me, you'll have been to loads of church services where the worship team do their thing and there's some great kind of words on the screen and you're singing with eyes closed and hands in the air, God, I'll do anything for you. I'll give my life for you. I'll go and serve you in the Congo. I'll, I'll go and do anything. I'll give up all my money and possessions and family. God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I'll do it for you. Then it gets to Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> and you realise actually the implications of that song are a little bit harder than you first realised in the emotion of the moment when you were surrounded by a few hundred people. Because the challenge is this, right? It's okay to do whatever when it's the whatever you want to do. It's okay to watch the England football match if you like supporting football, yeah? It's okay to do whatever when it's the whatever you want to do But I've got a 13-year-old son, and if I say, go and do the washing up, he's going, whatever, yeah? He's not saying, yes, Dad, I'll do whatever you want, because you care for me, and you love me, and you, you, you kind of sacrifice so much for me. It's okay to do whatever when it's the whatever you want to do. But if you don't want to do that whatever, how do you do whatever? Someone once said this, it's okay to be happy when the happenings that are happening in your life, are happening the way you want them to happen. When life is going well, I'll be happy. When I'm doing the things I want to do, I'll do whatever for you, God, but I don't want to do that whatever. 
Well, like I'd like to play in the worship team, but getting up at six in the morning and practicing and praying, no, I didn't sign up for that bit. Yeah? Being good to the person I sit next to in work, that's just too hard. I mean, they're really annoying. And they smell a bit. Do you know what I mean? It's really hard to do that whatever, God. How do you do whatever when it's the whatever you don't really want to do? Let's remember that Paul was writing this letter in prison. He wasn't going through nice circumstances of life. And and before he wrote the letter, he'd already been shipwrecked and imprisoned and flogged and falsely accused of all sorts of things. Paul's whatever wasn't an easy whatever in life. I I was just saying before when Leon was interviewing me, I I spent most of my working life working for Youth for Christ, great organisation. And uh, 17 years I worked for Youth for Christ and I wanted to finish really well before I moved on to work for Elim. So I came up with this plan. This was my plan. On the last day of work, rather than getting a paycheck, I would raise money and give the money back to Youth for Christ. Not for the whole of the 17 years, but for that month's salary. I just thought that would be a nice thing to do. So I started trying to raise some money. I decided to run a marathon, and I was asking people to sponsor me. The idea was, if I could possibly just get enough money to say, thank you, rather than you giving me that kind of money, I'll give it to you instead. 400 miles of training I put my body through. You know, I was kind of training morning, evening, noon. I was, I was on it. I was determined. I was asking everybody. I'd well exceeded my target. I'd raised over 5,000 pounds. And this was going to be just brilliant on the last day. It was just before Christmas. I was going to give them a check and say, listen, don't bother giving me any money to finish. I want to pay you guys instead. Three days before the marathon, the Chester Marathon, I was, I was like fit and raring to go, getting some cash out of the cash point, typing some numbers in, and suddenly there was a big crunch behind me. I'd left the handbrake off my car. Thankfully, there were some concrete bollards behind me. Otherwise, my legs would have been crushed by a two-ton Skoda. But uh, my my car hit the the bollards, and I turned around, and to my shock, I thought, my car's a little bit closer than it was 10 seconds ago. In in a kind of a moment of craziness, I kind of assumed that I was the Incredible Hulk because I'd been doing all this running. So I stuck my foot on the bumper of the car, thinking I'd be able to stop it from crashing a second time into the concrete ballards, only for my foot to go crunch. 400 miles of training. And I spent the last three months sat on my sofa doing nothing. Didn't raise a penny. (laughs) No one gave me the money because I didn't do the run. It was not the whatever I would have picked. A couple of months later, my foot's well, I'm back up and about. It's not a serious whatever compared to some of the things that I know you'll be going through in your lives. Some people will be fighting with ill health. Some Some people will be facing difficult financial circumstances. Some people might be in relationships. It's just really, really hard. Yeah, Some people might be in job situations that they're just desperate to get out of. The whatevers of life that you find yourself in. Paul says to us, how are you going to live for Christ whatever the circumstances of life? How are you going to live for Christ when relationships cause you a challenge? The job doesn't go to plan. Finances aren't in place. Things don't go the pace you want them to go. When God seems silent or even seemingly lets you down, how are you going to live for God then? See, it's okay to do whatever when it's the whatever you want to do. 
But when you don't want to do that, whatever, how do we say, God, I'm still going to serve you, whatever the circumstances? Well, what does Paul say? He says this, I want you to learn how to make allowances for each other's faults. I want you to forgive anybody who offends you. I want you to start remembering that because God forgave you, you must start to forgive others. He goes on to say, I want you to start drawing down from this wonderful wardrobe, this kingdom wardrobe that I've given you to pick from, of humility and gentleness and kindness and peace and patience. I want you to start wearing those clothes, whatever the circumstances of life. What are some of the whatevers that you find yourself in this morning? Where everything within you wants to say, I don't want to live for you in that situation, Jesus. It's a little bit hard. Don't mind on a Sunday, but Tuesday afternoon at four o'clock, no, forget it. I want an hour off. And, and, and the challenge to us this morning is, now are we going to live a whatever life? Whatever the circumstances. I, I wonder if somebody particularly this morning is dealing with ill health a particular health challenge that they've been bringing to God for years and years and years, and they just think, God, you just don't even seem to be listening to me. I'm gonna pray later that God brings healing into that situation, but I'm also gonna pray that if that situation continues, he gives you the strength and the power to live for him, whatever the circumstance. Both of them are miracles, just in different ways. I was convinced when I went to work in a theological college. It sounds a bit grand, doesn't it? Principle of a theological college. Bit of a mismatch between the way I perceive myself and the job that I'm doing. But I was convinced that people would just go into study to kind of make their brains bigger for Jesus. You know, it was like kind of bodybuilding. You're just kind of building your, 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 your brain muscles so you could speak Greek and Hebrew and, and you know the context of every verse in Scripture but it was going to be of no practical use whatsoever. That, that was kind of my misconception. I couldn't have been further from the truth. I, I, I was six months into my job, and, and this particular student found themselves in a situation where they were working and studying pretty much full-time. They had to work to get the money to pay for their studies. He was married with four children. But unfortunately, he developed a terribly bad back and had to have a serious operation, which meant he would be off work for three months. He worked in the college community. He did a, a job that just about paid the bills. So he came to me and says, I'm going to have to give up my job. I need to get the operation. And a day later, another student, a girl, came up to me and said, you know, said person can't do their job anymore. Can I do it instead? I thought, slightly opportunistic, but I need someone to do the job. So yes, it's fine. So she took on the same role that this other guy had been doing. For three months, she did every single shift that he would have been assigned to do, but every penny she earned, she gave to this guy and his family. That's a whatever life. That's a life that says, actually, whatever the situations of life, I'm seeing things differently. I'm not after greed and personal gain. I'm not after reputation. I'm not after what people think about me. I just wanna be generous. I just wanna bless other people. I wanna do life differently than the way that the world tells us success looks like. What's the whatevers that you're facing and how are you gonna live for God whatever the situation? Paul goes on, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. 
Guys, we get to represent Jesus every day. Here's my list I've written for us. We get to represent Jesus when it's going well. No problem at all. We get to represent Jesus in our relationships, the people we like and the people we find it harder to like. We get to represent Jesus when no one's looking. We get to represent Jesus in our integrity, in our peacekeeping, in our harmony, on our good days, our bad days, in our desire to forgive people, the busy days, the quiet days, the sunny, the rainy days. Paul says this, represent Jesus by wearing tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, peace, and love. How are you representing Jesus in the world? I want to challenge you just for a moment. Let's go back to our wardrobe analogy. Which wardrobe are you visiting? You know, when, when someone says something to offend you, do you go back to that comfortable kind of woolly jumper that's really comfortable to wear but looks miserable on you? And it's called bitterness and envy and jealousy and unforgiveness. Really comfortable. And for a few moments, you just feel great wearing it. And then it starts to feel like chain mail on your body and weighs you down. Are you still wearing that? Or have you chosen to go to the kingdom wardrobe of forgiveness and humility and kindness? Are the words that come out of our mouths seasoned with kindness? How are you representing Jesus in the world today? I had the privilege a couple of years ago of going out to Uganda. I spent some time um, out there with, with Andy, in fact, um, who's based here at the church. We spent some time with Tear Fund doing a whole host of projects. But on the Saturday morning, I was invited to, to preach to a load of Ugandan boxers. We got up at six o'clock in the morning and we were stood in this kind of muddy square in the middle of Kampala, watching them train, sprinting up hills and jogging down hills and, and throwing tires around everywhere. And, and I had the joy of preaching to these guys, but they were massive. I mean, like really big. So I thought before I preach, it's only going to be right to step into the ring and put some boxing gloves on first. Can I earn the right to speak? You know what I mean? That was my theory anyway. So I squeezed my hands into the sweatiest gloves you've ever seen in your life. And I, I'm kind of standing there in, in, in the boxing posture. Uh, it should be a picture there behind me. And, uh, I, and I picked the little guy. I mean, he was about 17. He was tiny. His name was Roger. He, he looked friendly. He had a big smile. I thought he's not going to hurt a fly. Uh, and uh, there's me stood in the kind of the, I say a ring. It was just a, an area. Uh, and I'm stood there in this kind of space. Saying, Come on, Roger, do your worst. Like, I've never seen anybody's hands move so fast. I mean, so much so, I didn't even see them coming. It was like, bang, bang, bang. And after 30 seconds, I couldn't take any more punches. So I pulled the gloves off and I threw them on the floor in disgust. I recognized I was about to preach and needed to keep a good attitude. And I kind of waved the white flag and said, Get game over, I can't do this anymore. So I sat down once I got my breath back with Roger. I said, Roger, compared to me, you look amazing, but how good are you really? And this is what he said, and I wish I'd asked him this question before he punched me in the face. He says, I'm about to represent Uganda in the Commonwealth Games. <laughs> I'd been stitched up, you know what I mean? I, could, I should have gone for the six foot four guy that couldn't stand up, but I go for the Commonwealth boxer. Anyway, um, I, I'm kind of there chatting with Roger. But from that moment on, I wanted to see how good he was. Like, not against me, but against the real boxer. 
So I'm searching through the internet. When is the Commonwealth Games bike? When's the flyweight going to be happening? When's Roger and the Ugandan boxers going to be stepping into the ring? And sure enough, in Glasgow, he steps into the ring. He takes on this guy from South America. And, and, and 20 seconds into the first round of his fight, this happens. Roger takes a blow to his face in the blue corner and it knocks him silly. After two minutes, Roger's Commonwealth Games is over. I mean, like, he doesn't do one more fight, that's it. He's flown all the way from Uganda to Glasgow for two minutes of his life. Let's take the slide off the screen. If I went back to Kampala and, and sought Roger out, he'd be a bit older now, 21. And I said, Roger, was it really worth it? Like all of that training, getting up early in the morning, fighting guys that are bigger than you for two minutes, all that expense. Wouldn't it have been better just to feed your family than travel all the way to Glasgow for two minutes of your life? I think Roger would be beaming from ear to ear. And I think Roger would look me in the face and he'd say, I got to represent Uganda for two minutes in the Commonwealth Games. Guys, you and I don't get two minutes or two weeks or two years or 20 years. We have a lifetime to represent Jesus Christ every single day of our lives. How are you representing Jesus today? How are you representing Jesus next week, next month? What does it look like to represent Jesus in the world? I do loads of training on a whole host of subjects. I've studied at all sorts of levels. But lots of people ask me this question. How can we make a difference in our town? How can we help our church to grow? How can we influence the village or the town or the city we live in with the good news of Jesus? People read all sorts of books and come up with all sorts of plans. But I think it's a little bit easier than we think. I think if all of us took seriously what it looks like to represent Jesus every single day of our lives, we would see towns, cities, communities changed. You know, genuinely, we're putting other people's needs before our own. We're modeling what forgiveness looks like in difficult circumstances. We're recognizing what it means to represent Jesus in our integrity, in our lives, and our work. Christians being known in the workplace for being people of integrity, people who you can trust, people who speak the truth in love. Imagine if that was our legacy, that was our influence, representatives of Jesus wherever we go. Paul goes on, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus and always be thankful. I think thankfulness, this last little bit, is kind of the key to how we represent Jesus in the world. How do we always be thankful? Thankful. Always is a pretty big word, yeah? Um, in, in, in Colossians alone, Paul mentions this phrase, thankfulness, six times. It's an important thing to get our heads round. How do I always be thankful? I don't think Paul is telling us to try a bit harder at thankfulness. Because if we try hard at something, we're still going to fall flat on our face. Quick story, my, my eldest son's now 21, but when he was in secondary school, he went through year seven, and he got a certificate for 100% attendance. And with that certificate, he got a five-pound gift voucher to spend in the local shops. He was really excited, so he thought to himself, if I go to school every single day 
and don't miss a whole a day of school, how much money are they going to give me then? He was like really excited. So, so he went through year seven, year eight, year nine, year ten, didn't miss one day of school. I, I said to him on a couple of days, Josh, you've got flu, stay in bed. He was like, no, I'm going to school. I want to get 100% attendance. He got all the way to April um, in year 11, and he got glandular fever. <laughs> True story. And he never went to school, didn't do any of his GCSEs, and they had to guess his results based on his previous work. You see, he tried with all his energy to do something, but he failed to do it because he was doing it in his own strength. Is there something here? It's not just telling me to be thankful. It's not just telling me to, to paint a smile on my face, kind of, you know, that Mac McDonald's kind of how you doing smile. No, no, this is a completely different thankfulness that rises up within us. It's something that the Spirit gives us so we can represent Jesus in the world. Remember Paul's in prison, encouraging people to be thankful. He had nothing to be thankful for in human terms at this point. Let me finish by telling you one more story. I, I was training for the same run I was telling you about earlier. I was on holiday in France, and, and my phone told me, run five miles. So I, I thought, okay, better get on with it. So I started this run really early in the morning. I set out, and a guy on the campsite who I knew a little bit shouted after me. His name was Frank, and he says, Dave, are you going on a run? Can I come with you? Now, Frank was a lot older than me, probably 20-something years older than me at the time, and I thought, I don't really want to be slowed down. I just want to get the run done and get on with my day. The other reason I thought Frank might slow me down is because he had really bad arthritis. I mean, like, this guy could hardly sit down and stand up. It took him ages to do it. And, and walking was very difficult for him. And I thought, there's no way we're going to be kind of able to run together. But we set off. We were a mile into the run, and Frank just kind of disappeared off into the distance. And he says to me, I thought you wanted to go fast. Now... I'm not particularly competitive, but I didn't want to get beaten by 60-something arthritic Frank on my holiday run and then go back to my wife and say, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, I don't feel like I can eat any more croissants because this guy's just beat me. So I, I'm chasing after Frank. I, I want to make sure that I'm there before him or at least equal to him. It took me four miles to catch up with Frank. We, we, we got into the campsite together and he looked like a spring chicken and I looked like I'd been through 10 rounds with Mike Tyson. And so I, I kind of got my breath back and I said, so, so Frank, how on earth can you run so well? Like, I've seen you walking around the site. I've seen you moving. You, 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 you're suffering with arthritis. How can you run so well? This is what he says. I've run every single day of my life since I was 17. My muscles just know how to run. He trained his muscles in such a way that the most natural thing for him to do was put one foot in front of the other and keep going. I wonder if Jesus this morning is inviting you and me to start training the muscles of thankfulness. You know, thankfulness isn't the most natural thing for us when the circumstances of life aren't going well. Everything within us wants to moan, complain, grumble, get bitter, get angry, get our own back. But Paul's saying that's not how you've been called to live. 
church in Hales Owen, you've been called to be thankful people, always thankful. Use your own strength, and when you run out of your own strength, rely on me and by my Holy Spirit, I'll give you the supernatural power to continue to be thankful despite the circumstances, whatever the situation you find yourself in, so you can represent me in this world. Don't draw on those old clothes that you were supposed to burn. Get the the, the new wardrobe and start wearing the rich garments of the kingdom that you can represent me wherever you go, whatever circumstances and whatever situation you find yourself in. I, I am genuinely convinced that thankfulness is like a currency, financial currency that enables you and I to trade our way through the whatever's life brings our way and represent Jesus in all we do and say. Let's pray for a spirit of thankfulness. Let's pray that God will give us a a, a new perspective on life so we can represent him. The writer to Hebrews put it like this. No discipline is pleasant at the time. It's painful. It's hard work. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Are you up for training the muscle of thankfulness? Are you up for inviting God into the whatevers of life that you're facing? Are you up for saying, God, even though my circumstances are screaming, they're not that great, I'm gonna represent you anyway, because that's what you've called me to be in this world. I wanna be a representative of you, whatever the circumstance. I know um, that when you listen to a sermon, sometimes you switch off after a while, especially on a hot Sunday morning afternoon. So I've decided to summarize the whole message in about 60 seconds in poem form. So if you've forgotten everything I've said or you've missed what I've been talking about, now it's time to tune in and listen. It's like the match of the day highlights of the sermon, okay? Are you ready? Here goes. I don't mean to try and be clever, And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that I never, but if we're going to represent, we've got to endeavour to be people who are thankful, whatever. If we want to last the race, keep going forever, be a blessing to others, whoever, wherever. When our whatever leaves us face down under pressure, needing a pick-me-up or a quick refresher, if our summer feels like a dark November, and we could be knocked down easier than a feather. If life feels more like cheap plastic than genuine leather, people do your head in and you can't get on together. I don't mean to try and be clever. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that I never, but if we're going to represent Jesus in Hales Owen today, this week, we've got to endeavor to be people who are thankful, whatever. Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to ask the guys on the worship team just to come and join me. We're going to pray for a couple of things just as we uh, bring our time to a close. I'd love to pray for that spirit of thankfulness just to come and descend on us. Despite the circumstances or the situations of life that we can see life from God's perspective that he would just give us an understanding from, from his picture, from his view, not from our own. But I recognize there'll be people here this morning who are dealing with some difficult whatevers of life. 
maybe health situations, maybe financial. Maybe someone's just really struggling to forgive someone this morning. Maybe your life feels more like a, a kind of a, a, on a river and it's just kind of tossing and turning and there's, there's, there's turmoil, not peace. And you just need God's peace to come and invade your life. I don't know what the whatevers of life you're facing are, but I know there'll be many people here who are. And I'm just going to pray that God will step into your whatever this morning. And God will step in and, and first and foremost, I'm going to pray for a miraculous transformation. I'm going to pray for healing. I'm going to pray for provision. I'm going to pray for breakthrough. I'm going to pray that you have the supernatural power to forgive. But if the circumstance doesn't change and in two, three, four weeks' time, you're still dealing with that whatever, I'm going to pray for a bigger miracle. And this is the bigger miracle, despite the whatever staying the same, that God will give you the strength and the ability to continue to represent Him in that landscape, that environment, that situation. So God, please heal me, but if I don't get healed, it doesn't mean you're not real and you don't love me, you don't want to change the world anyway. So if that's you and you just kind of sign up to one of those things, there's a whatever in your life that you're dealing with right now, you know what it is. As soon as I started speaking, your mind went to that point, that place. If that's you, just ask you to put your hand just on your, your heart, just as a symbol to say, count me into this prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, for each person here today. Those people who are Christians and know you and love you, those who maybe just come here for the first time and are checking the church out. God, if there's situations and circumstances that people are facing, we want to pray, God, in your miraculous power, you change those circumstances. Bring healing where there's sickness. Bring provision where there's lack. Father, we pray that you'll bring breakthrough in relationships where there's unforgiveness or bitterness or pain. God, I pray particularly for someone this morning who needs peace to come and invade their life. God, I pray that they will know that peace and it will change the circumstances of life. But God, if the circumstances don't change, if we find ourselves in the same place, we just pray you give us the power to represent you anyway. God, help us to keep choosing from the wardrobe of gentleness and kindness and humility. Give us the supernatural spirit of thankfulness to represent you in this world, God, we pray. That we will know your truth and your truth will set us free in Jesus' name and for your glory. God, help us to be representatives of you, whatever the circumstances wherever you put us, whatever situations we find ourselves in, and always be thankful. Let's just worship together just as we sing these songs, as we sing these words, just continue to pray and invite God into your circumstance. There'll be situations or time later if you want someone to pray specifically for you to take some time to do that. But why don't you just allow God's Spirit to come and minister to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.